Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beers and Careers. This is your host, Mark Agustinelli. As always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscos.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Davis specializes in the placement of technical talent. So if your organization is looking for IT, engineering, or manufacturing talent, or if you are someone who's looking for their next, next best gig, don't hesitate to reach out to the folks at Davis. Uh, today's guest, Dave O'Connor. Uh, Dave's got a great beers and careers journey for you. Um, fellow St. Mike's grad with myself, and um, he started off uh, thinking he wanted to be a psychologist, clinical psychologist, and then got into politics and then into business, and uh, is now in the culmination of his career, where he launched his own company as a life and executive coach. Um, it's an excellent story where there's a lot of ton of where there's a ton of life lessons um, and a lot of good books shared. Uh, Dave's a vulnerable guest, and I think has shared his journey uh, too with mental health and um, just what he thinks he can do to give back to others. So uh, a really uplifting story. Can't wait for you to uh, check it out. Let us know what you think. Let's go. Well, well, welcome, Dave. I don't have a beer today. I have a I have a polar seltzer here on this fine uh, Tuesday afternoon. But uh, welcome and thanks for coming on Beers and Careers. Thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So before we get into what you do day to day and how we met and all that uh, fun stuff, I gotta I gotta go through the Beers and Careers, uh, you know, punch list with you, if you will. What what is your favorite drink or cocktail? Oh. Um... Favorite beer has to be uh, Switchback, oh. like the blue, whatever the blue Switchback, yeah. like classic Standard. one. Is. The ale. Yes. Every time wow. I'm back in New England, that's like the very first thing I try to get my hands on. Oh, that is what Tina and I had kegs of beer at our wedding with Switchback. <laughs> I tried to get kegs. They wouldn't bring them down to Connecticut, but good for you guys. <laughs> yeah, we got them. Um, do you have a favorite curse word? Fuck. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that, it, is, man. that is the undisputed champion on beers and careers. Is, Absolutely. Is fuck. Um, are you a quote guy? You got any favorite quotes or quotes right now that tend to be resonating or stuck in your brain? I'm a huge quote guy. And the one that Love immediately that. comes to mind for me is one from my dad, which is that uh, it's I don't know if it's appropriate for the pod, but it's there's a hand for every ass. Mm, Love that. And that's I actually awesome. think he told me about that in the context of, of a job decision that I was making at some point, you know, but the, the general idea being there's a fit for everyone everywhere in everything. And you just got to go out and find it. Mm. I like that. Very inspirational when things aren't going well too, you know? Yeah. You can find it. Just keep, mm. keep looking. <laughs> yes. Um, first job. First job was flipping hot dogs at Mike's hot dogs in Schenectady, New York. Love that. Love that. How old were you? 14. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, and a new question I've been asking people, any um, favorite book or books you'd recommend? Yeah. Um, favorite book I will recommend for anyone in a career context would be a combination of the obstacle is uh, the obstacle is the way and ego is the enemy, both by Ryan Holiday, both very digestible, um, quick reads that are also packed with little nuggets for the day. I start 
Mm, I'm going to say 85 to 90% of my mornings because I don't do it unequivocally. But I start 85 to 90% of my mornings reading the passage from the Daily Stoic. Absolutely. Yep. I love it. It's a great way to just humble yourself in the start of the day and reprioritize what's going on. So Yeah. I used to leave a copy of that on the dash or like underneath the dash of my car when I would go out to the startup that I was leading. I had like a 45-minute drive, and I'd pull into the parking lot, go to the day of the, you know, day of the year, read my little passage, and then that was kind of my little mindfulness moment before I walked in the door every day. It's, it's really helpful. I think today's was about uh, you can only learn when you're open to learning, which is kind of perfect when you're hosting a podcast, right? It's like you, yes. get, you, know, if you think you know everything, you learn nothing. So um, we're five minutes in here, and we didn't tell anyone who you are or what you do. So Dave O'Connor, without further ado, can you share uh, what Hey Coach Dave is? And then um, and then why don't we dive into a little bit of you just sharing how you got there? Because you have a really awesome nonlinear career path that I think was perfect to, to document in this uh, in this journey. But I also love how when we caught up before, a lot of the skills parlayed to the next one, to the next one, and which has ultimately had this culmination in you launching your own uh, your own show here. So please. Take it away. Yeah. Thanks, man. Hey, Coach Dave is my life and executive leadership coaching business. There really are two distinct branches to it. Life coaching tends to be one-on-one private clients that are essentially going, needing to go from point A to point B and really unclear, unsure, or unconfident about how to do that. And mm-hmm. I help them through that. On um, the executive leadership side, it's more about shades of that, but within the context of business, driving business outcomes for an organization as a team or for an individual that needs some honing, some skills development or perspective shifting for, a you know, you name it, kind of issue array within a, an organization. Um, <clears throat> I like to say that I'm generally speaking in the business of self-actualization. Mm. And uh, a lot of people ask me, like, so did people kind of come to you with needing like career advice or like something, you know, they're kind of like red flagged within their company or something. And what I say is it doesn't really matter how anyone um, is like recommended to talk to me. Ninety percent of people in the mid career stage of life come in and we're talking, you know, they come in through the career door and we immediately find ourselves in the living room. As I, as I like to say, because you cannot disassociate work with life in general. It's not work-life balance. It's life balance, and work is a part of that. Yes. Yeah, and I've, all, I've always felt that when things, uh, for me, it's funny we were talking about golf before this, but when things for me aren't going well in my professional life, it is generally through my personal life where most of the issue lies. So it's really funny to hear you say that. But furthermore, I've noticed, I told you, you know, I'm a kind of addicted to golf. Mm. I, I'll notice that I stop enjoying golf. So I go to it as my escape for my four hours and I walk. I always walk. Like I need to walk playing golf. I carry my bag. There's a little bit of like meditation and exercise going on. When mm. I'm playing in like the midst of summer and maybe I snuck out of work on a Friday to go play golf, but I'm not enjoying it. Then I, I have to go home and do some serious reflection of like, okay, what is going on? like that I can't do this for three hours. So it's funny to hear you say that. It's really interesting. 
Yeah, you know, a, a metaphor just popped into my mind, which is like as we, when we were children and we would play in a sandbox, if we got really upset by something or someone wouldn't share with us or they stole our toy, it's not as though we stepped out of the sandbox and were magically happy again. We took that, we took that hostility or frustration or, or tension with us to the next activity we went to. We mm. do the same thing in adulthood. Yes, uh, makes a ton of sense. Can I, can I ask you before you get into your background uh, post grad? Wh- where, where did do you remember getting introduced to the term self actualization? Like, do you remember how old you were and when it started to resonate? Because it's funny. Like when you said that to me, I just had a flashback to Catholic prep high school. But I don't. But I don't really think I got it until college. Yeah. Well, it was either my senior year of high school or freshman year of college, but that 17, 18 years old, when I was introduced to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. I see you nodding knowingly here. Absolutely. You know? Yes. Um, And that always really fascinated me from the being able to see a structure and a, uh, you know, physical model that laid out like kind of the journey we all are on if we choose to take it kind of like we can all also make the choice to just like swim around in survival mode mm-hmm. forever. There are just pivotal moments in our lives. Yeah. Choose path A or path B. And hopefully you choose a whole bunch of the moments that lead up to, you know, moving up the pyramid, if you will, of those, that hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, uh, I, I love it. Um, yeah. I'm sorry to, steer us off the path so you you and i went to the same college yes but but since then we've we've gone different ways you want to share what happened uh post-grad for you and kind of your life experiences that helped you launch hey coach dave yeah um when i was in college i was a psychology major i was really involved with student government and a ton of people thought i was a business major just because of my vibe i guess or something yes And I did have an entrepreneurial spirit. I had an absolute love of politics and I deeply cared about like helping people get deal with what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, I desperately did not want a clinical psych experience for my first year out of college. And then uh, against my own will, practically, I discovered this program at the University of Vermont in the psychiatry department teaching cognitive behavioral skills to people suffering from chronic pain and depression. I met the woman who led it and was just like blown away by her program. So found myself in my first year after school uh, in a psychology setting that was clinical. Towards the end of my first year there, she was like, I'm gonna back you if you wanna pursue a PhD here at the University of Vermont or like you can hit the bricks. And I was like, I'm gonna hit the bricks. Because I, I knew enough about myself at that moment in time to know I was neither prepared nor eager for six to eight years of, of more education, mm. certainly not in like the academic setting, and therefore um, made that first pivot, if you will, yeah. over into one of the other passions, politics. Went down to D.C., and then after D.C., I was in New England for a couple of years working on campaigns, U.S. Senator uh, office, politi- uh, a presidential campaign, um, really got a taste of a lot of different political settings. Two phones in the hand, working seven days a week, pretty exhausted, shuffling between Boston and New Hampshire, 
just knew it was a time for a change of pace. Yeah. Parlayed writing and um, like the activism skill set into public affairs and public relations for Weber Shandwick is a huge, the largest global PR agency at the time. Um, was in the Boston office, kicked over to the Chicago office about a year and a half later. I've been in Chicago ever since. Uh, yeah, I'll hit the pause button there. That's like, yeah. that gets us to like 27, 28 years old. Okay. And so you're, just out of curiosity, you didn't want to do the um, seven, eight years of school for the PhD. Because you, you just said it so eloquently, I didn't want to learn in an academic setting. Was it just mm-hmm. like, legitimately the schedule and structure you didn't want to be in vermont for another seven eight years like was there anything else to that or total and complete limiting belief system meaning i just had no faith in my ability to carry a good gpa and be as excellent as a student as um as was expected of me, I, I really didn't want to fail and let down the people that were supporting me. And because I had a yeah. limiting belief about my ability to succeed at the time, I therefore chose another path. And uh, I think it really boils down to not believing in myself enough to see the, I mean, we could spend a lot of time on this, but essentially, the incentives to avoid the risk of failure were better than the incentives to 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 try. Yeah, I, which 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 I totally which I totally get. I feel like I feel like there's a there's a portion of that where I don't I don't necessarily interpret that as you know I've been talking to people about their careers now for a little bit. Uh, I don't always view that as like a bad thing. Like mm. I, like like I it's just the nuance around the conversation is important because I think some people like I'm one of them. I'm pretty motivated by the fear of failure, like in a very healthy way. Like I have to provide for a family and like, don't want to let my parents down for what they gave me. Like, it's just like, but like, I, but I'm not like, you know, and I hope my mom and dad, we always have a joke. It's like, well, if shit hits the fan, I'll flip burgers at McDonald's. Like, I I don't like, I'm going to be humble enough to go back, to start, so like I, when I when I hear you say something like that, I, like self-limiting beliefs makes me feel like it's got a negative connotation. Where I where I hear you say that, and I go, that's a guy who knew that that was not for him. Just for yeah. the record. Yeah, and I think the work that I do now is actually informed by my own self-awareness about those limiting beliefs, and helps other people notice them and then decide. Who is going to be the main actor in the scene at any given time? Is it going to be the version of you with the limiting beliefs or is it going to be the guy or the girl, the woman, the man that was designed for that scene to make it the most powerful, resonant, compelling scene and keep people watching and keep yourself engaged? Yeah. One of the things that I like to say is that we're not we're actors in each of our own films. We like to believe we are the heroes as well. Um, Well, we are actually the director of our own film. And that means that we get to decide with compassion and assertiveness who's taking up the most space in any given scene at any given time. And when you have that limiting belief or that that um, saboteur kind of voice that's stealing the scene, it is your job as the director 
to pull them to the side and say, you're in the budget. We love you. You bring a great quality to this film, but this is not your scene. And I'm going to yeah. call you when it is. Go back to your trailer and chill. Yeah. <laughs> we got no, you. I, I think that metaphor is phenomenal. That's a phenomenal metaphor. I wrote that down with the director of our own film. I think it's a better way of, uh, of thinking about it. Because you kind of remove yourself from the day to day. So no, I love that. Appreciate you sharing that. Do you, do you, what I'm interested about in the Weber time is like, I get the parlaying of skills, but like you also moved. Yes. I, did. Like, like, I, did. I don't like, I think it's like, not that I want to like overlook uh, the other parts of it, but like, that's a big deal at yeah. in your late twenties, early thirties being like, yeah, I'm going to bail and go to a different city. Can you just talk that through? Because after that you have a series of roles in Chicago and you've never left Chicago. Correct. Yeah, so I moved to Chicago, I think, around 25, somewhere around there. Okay, and okay. Maybe 26, and uh, that is, for anybody interested in listening, that is a lesson in uh, you'll never get what you don't ask for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally approached the HR director in the Boston office and said, hey, I um, I have a desire to be in the Chicago office, and if a role opens up, Please, like, I'm going to be the first to, to raise my, in fact, consider my hand constantly raised. I'm ready to go. And three roughly <laughs> months later, um, wow. he approached me and was like, we have a role open in the same department, but in that city. Do you want it? And then you, you know, it's it sort of, you figure out the logistics after you have the vision and the purpose. After you say um, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, after you say yes, exactly. It's like in a lot of... <laughs> Actually, in the PR world, we often say yes to the client, and then we figure out what the heck we're doing. Right. I kind of did the same thing, but it was things lined up. The lease was ending. You know, it it just it worked. My sister had spent some time in Chicago. I sort of had my bearings. Um, And then when I got to Chicago, I learned a different and equally important lesson. The same office, the same personnel, the same quote unquote title and job it will be a wildly different experience. Yeah. And wow. it just everything changed. Like the culture that I was in, the the kind of the, the social currency within the office was different. I was maybe one of like, uh, you know, the males in the office were like 25% maybe of like the, the whole, like sort of the gender split. Um, it, it was it, going from like maybe 50-50 or better. It was, it was just a very different experience. And, um, man, I could go into, I could tell you so many stories about being in that office. But, yeah, the the city transition was, uh, it was also a a change that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't change for the world, you know. And it also came with a, a whole lot of upheaval. Like, I was really naive to the uh, degree to which it affected intangible elements elements of my life that I, I couldn't take back. Mm. Um, I was farther away from family. I was uh, spending more emotional and intellectual capital wrapping my head around how to live and thrive in a city and how to create a friend group in a totally new place. And at a certain age, that was like a lot of my other friends were settling down. They were mm. picking up husbands and wives and um, starting to have children and you know, going on a certain track in their careers. Again, I wouldn't change any of this. I'm where I am now because of it. But 
it's a very raw, um, untethered experience sometimes when you do make that geographical transition. Yeah, I, I also think one thing that the podcast probably hasn't touched on as much in the past. So you share with me how comfortable you are talking about it. But like, I, I do think um, the personal goals, right, around if you're saying uh, my friends are starting to settle down and do that whole thing. I'm inferring that you also want that. So I'm making an assumption. But like, how do you balance that? Like, how, like, how do you balance that want with like, also, I got to make it a good impression in my new role. And yeah. I'm in a new city. Like, like, that's not easy. That is not that's not an easy thing to kind of just like, I don't want to say grapple with day to day, because that, again, has a lot of a negative connotation. But I know I must guess that you were wrestling with it. Here's how I would say balancing can happen. Don't do it alone. Get a mentor, get a coach, get a therapist, get a, a sibling or a best friend involved, but and ideally someone who's been through it before and or has a really good sense of like how you tend to think about yourself and how you tend to think about foreign situations mm. so that they can be there with you and hold the rope as if you will. Like mm. you're you're kind of out there lost at sea, but they still got you. You know, yes. yes, that would be my that would be my number one recommendation. And and I did that in a number of ways. One is I still had my dad at the time, who was my confidant, best friend, uh, life advisor and coach to a degree, therapist at times. I also had a therapist. OK, um, I had one or two therapists before I moved to Chicago over the course of 10 years, including Dave Landers at St. Yes. Michael. Yes. Um, and then when I moved to Chicago, I I also went through about five years of therapy that was absolutely invaluable. And I tell my wife all the time, I was not dateable, let alone marriage material until like the day before she met me. And that was only a result of of my own work, but my time with with a therapist and really kind of learning what um, learning what is safe healthy, appropriate, and like abundant decision-making and, and behaviors for myself as an independent adult man. Mm. Was there a, through those, um, both the experience with your dad as well as the, the therapist, like, was there a, was there a moment when things clicked or was it really the culmination of all that time? Like, like I'm interested to know, but you just say that to your wife, you know, what, what was the one thing that like, if you had a, hang on one thing that changed in who you were through that experience, what would, what would it be? You listed a bunch decision-making, et cetera, but like, what was the one thing you focus in on? There was a Saturday afternoon about four or five o'clock in the summertime when mm -hmm. I was in my apartment. This was before I met, uh, before I met my wife where I was walking around my apartment, transitioning from one activity to another, and I had absolutely no desire to reach out to anyone or for anyone to reach out to me. It was the first time in my whole life where I went, you're alone in a room and you're completely fine with it. Mm. And I just felt like a degree of contentment and self-confidence and self-worth that I just had yeah. never heard myself notice before. 
And at that moment, I was like, you got this, man. You're getting this shit sorted out. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. You know, my wife, obviously, from, we're going to college together and, um, I mean, ride or die, but the, the Naval Ravikant quote comes with life is a single player game, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's just like, uh, it, 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 that again can sound so depressing. And I just find that to be so, um, Empowering. If I so could fill in the blanks So uplifting. It was funny. Yeah. I had a conversation. I overheard a conversation with someone. Um, you know, we're at the age where now some of our friends are, not, are unfortunately getting divorced. I'm and, yeah. and um, I, I, I was overhearing someone talking and I was I was with them at this restaurant or bar we were at. And they said uh, something to the effect of like, I can't imagine giving away half of my stuff. Right. Or, or, or I think actually like Tina was joking, being like, Mark, if you ever did that, I would take you for everything. And I went along with it. And then I got in the car and we were like, we're, we're like, or the next morning we had a serious conversation. And I was like, Tina, but the thing to realize is that like, if you were really willing to part ways, the money doesn't matter. Like what, like, like who cares? You're uh, like, you either choosing a prison you create for yourself yeah. or not. Yeah. And so I just think uh, when I think about the single player game, it's really interesting to hear you say that. I mean, talk about self-actualization. Yeah. Right. Um, but that really that really resonates. But also is I think I don't want to say a failure of the educational system or general parenting. We're just we're so used to being wired with community, which yeah. gives us so much joy and strength. But at the same time, you got to be willing to like. Do the work when no one's looking, make decisions when no one's looking and kind of just like live between the ears, which is a very, it's hard. It's so hard. I just posted something on Instagram yesterday or maybe it was today. In any case, the, the general theme was to not allow the possibility of disappointing someone else be a blocker to your own progress, because the reality is you will disappoint someone. We get to a certain point in relatively early adulthood where we have to make quote unquote selfish or self-serving or healthy types of decisions that will leave others uh, behind or feeling Mm. uh, looked over, you know, you name it. Yeah. Inadequate. Yeah. And the, and the reality is, You'll have plenty of other times to impress or satisfy or delight those people if they're a rich enough part of your life. Mm. And furthermore, if the sting of the disappointment is so profound for them that they can't go along the ride with you for what is genuine progress, they might, you know, that might be a little bit of dead weight anyway. I'm not, you know, not to make it such stark terms, but there are like there are people who see where you're going even if you're not there yet. And they go, cool, man, I understand that decision. I got you. Yes. Right? And then there are others that like internalize it as though it's like a, a, uh, a reflection on the relationship in some way. Sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Which is another, uh, which that tension can be very frustrating for people. Yeah. Especially for people who aren't, um, necessarily think about the why in which they're doing things like when you know why you're doing something it creates a lot of uh motivation to follow through if you will of course lack yeah. lack of wavering but no that's uh i'm sorry for that aside i was I, I just was like picking up that 
being like, that's a really interesting topic because it's not something people are uh, super vulnerable to talk about either. And I think it's something we all struggle with. Mm. You know, it, I think more people struggle with it than they than they let on to. It's probably a better way of saying it. So um, appreciate you sharing that. Did you did you did you leave Weber because the job was so different or did you get recruited out of there? No, I left because I was traveling all over the country and um, I wanted to affect the Chicago community. Uh, basically, okay. I was doing live event production that involved like media and, you know, kind of famous people and um, a lot of work. And I yeah. thought, you know what, if I'm going to put all this time and energy into this, I want to do it for here, my city, Chicago. And I had an opportunity to to do exactly that at the Chicago Tribune. I launched and managed cool. a essentially it was like a reader engagement, subscriber engagement, uh, events marketing program for uh, one, I fully owned one section of the paper. And then I contributed to a couple others um, through this like uh, reader engagement event marketing program. Very cool. And then. Talk to me about it from there. Yeah, from there. Uh, so one of the areas, the main area of events that I was uh, managing was centered entirely around innovation, startups, and entrepreneurship in the Chicago area. And that helped me put a name to this thing inside of me that's this combination of qualities of a work experience and a leadership uh, vision that I had for myself. That's entrepreneurship. And at that point, I realized that is that's where I want to go is okay. want to lead companies. I want to lead people for profit. Like mm -hmm. I want to grow something. And uh, I didn't have any personal capital and I didn't have a degree from Kellogg or Booth. And at the time, uh, two or more of those things seemed pretty essential to have in the Chicago it's startups. I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. And uh, so I said, you know what? All right. I'm going to have to backdoor this thing. How do I want to do that? Well, I also want to see how much uh, chops I really have in sales. Mm -hmm. So I decided I'm going to go after a sales role in a startup in Chicago. And I applied to a number of positions. And one of the companies I applied to, I applied to their absolute bare minimum sales job. It was like a demotion by all intents and purposes. And I told them, hire me at your lowest level, watch me smash this, watch me prove to you because it's going to be rocket fuel for, I don't want this title for very long. Yes. Right? This is an ego thing for me and I'm not even going to be bashful about it. I want out yeah. of the title as soon as possible. So I just have so much propellant that is also going to be super valuable for your company, even though I have no formal sales, quote unquote, sales skills behind me. So believe in me and believe that I'm going to deliver for you. And that's exactly what we did. I got like an early promotion. I was booking demos left and right. I was like exceeding. This is for like a SaaS company. Um, yeah, just like exceeding demo booking rates and getting my own like little mini clients starting to line up. And I have to give major credit to a, a woman named Lindsay Finley who like oh, cool. interviewed me and was like, this guy's got the stuff. He just needs like the arena to go and like do it in. And so she cool. backed me all the way. And I was like, I text so Lindsay cool. all the time. I'm like, you like you are part of how I am where I am now. That's awesome. Uh, 
And, you know, you asked about, like, what are these, like, steps along the way of self-actualization? That was one of them. Yeah. And I was like, back yourself, man. Yeah. Believe it. Find the opportunity. Step into it. Find someone who believes in what you believe in. Try, and you will prove to yourself, you like, you're there. Yes. And, and now all of a sudden, you're there. And right. Mm -hmm. And now it's what's next. Right. Very um, cool. So speaking of what's next, like I, I was uh, I was selling HR software for about two and a half years. And then I was approached by a private equity group to come in and become the president of a startup that they were launching. So here I am two and a half years after going, you know, ah, I know what I want. I want to lead a business and I don't have an MBA and I don't have a whole bunch of money. And right. then lo and behold, this group comes and approaches me and says, we see you don't have any money and we see you don't have an MBA and we'd like to give you an opportunity. Wow. So you got recruited into that. Yeah. Very cool. Did you take a cold call from a headhunter? No, they like a, a friend of my wife's from college called. No me way. Up. Yeah. And he uh, he was a guy I played golf with a bunch and he knew me on a personal level, but he didn't know me at all from like my kind of sales abilities. And so he called me up initially asking about the software that m was appropriate for the type of hires that they made. Lots of turnover, call center level uh, mm. employees, which was perfect for a certain vertical of the product that we sold. And what was what's typically like a 30 minute kind of discovery call was like a two hour call. Oh. And, and I was like, me. I got off the phone with him and I was like, that was a different kind of conversation. I mean, it was yeah. all about the software, but I could tell I was like, I think this dude was trying to like feel out my sales and storytelling ability and kind of like, can I connect the dots and whatever? Um, yeah, long story short, they brought me in and, you know, the rest is history. Wow. So you did that for a little while and then you launched your own gig? Is that that, that was the last formal stop before you went yeah, self-employed? Yeah. Yeah, that was um, so that wrapped up uh, almost a year ago. It was May of 2022 that we parted ways and I had some downtime and it was the summer. I was taking a run in pouring rain. By the way, I mm -hmm. highly recommend for anyone that hasn't run in a really long time and you want to get back into it and you don't know if you're going to be good at it or, you know, out of shape or whatever, choose a rainy day for your first run because every day after that you will never have the excuse of well it's raining out i can't go and run no you started your whole deal again when it was raining so go i i uh a quick aside i can't agree more i know i'm not a big runner but i playing college lacrosse i didn't really have a choice there was a lot of running involved um and during covid I was in a pretty good fitness regimen and lost the ability to go to the gym. And so I took the money and bought a Garmin watch and said, I'm going to start running with my dog. It started with walking with the dog, running with the dog. But that March and April had to be the rainiest weather in New England. I probably ran in the rain 70 or 80% of the time. And like the Cam Haynes and me and David Goggins kind of thought process was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then there's an, an incredibly meditative um, thing that happens when you run in the rain. And I'm like, I'm a weirdo. I don't run with music. I just like to be in the kind of moment dealing with it. But I, I, I think that's hilarious advice why I run in the rain. Because it's not, it, it does work. 
I also started another uh, habit more recently. We have a, it sounds like, this sounds kind of psychotic, but we have a shed in our backyard. I'm looking at it right now. And it's completely bare bones. There's practically nothing in it, but there are some cross beams. We have our like solo stove, uh, a couple bags of like topsoil. And I had like a TRX uh, yeah. tank rope deal. Uh, put the TRX rope down there and it's the shred shed. Shred shed. I love that. <laughs> I can do pull-ups, sit-ups, push-ups, squats, lunges, all kinds of different sit-ups, uh, chin-ups. Man, I have a med ball down there. You name it. And this is like, this costs me practically nothing. Yeah. Right? And it's a constant room. When I go down there, I know it sounds kind of like goofy and weird, but like when I go to that place down the hill in our backyard, it just reminds me that you can do a whole lot with a whole lot of nothing. You just got to like mentally yeah. get yourself to that place where you go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little creative. And I will mm-hmm. find the way to make this work for my purpose. Yes. I also feel like if you're going to, when you talk about self-actualization and realizing your full potential, I, I don't, I think it was Jocko Willink who said it. And I've said this on the podcast before, but I, I forget exactly But it's like, um, maybe it was, it sounds very stoic, but it's like, imagine going through life and never understanding what your body was truly capable of from a physical yeah. aspect. Yeah. And so that like, that really stuck with me. And I will admit, I joined the gym for all the vanity reasons, right? I was sick of being fat. Um, I wanted to feel better. And now I have to go only because of mental health. Yeah. Like the original reason I went has nothing to do with my joke with my team at the office is what I'm, and my wife is like, I'm like a dog and I have to be walked in the morning before I attend the rest of the day. <laughs> I need it just to go through life. So, yeah, I, lo- I like the uh, I like the shred shed, though, dude. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. And I think it's a uh, – I've had the guy who owns our uh, CrossFit gym on the podcast in the, in, in the past. And I, I love I – love, uh, I do love talking about it because I think – the, and I'm not saying you have to be throwing weights around or being in the shred shed, but you do need an exercise component to help the rest of the, of, um, I think if you want to truly achieve the well-rounded person, career, professional, you know, professional, personal, et cetera, it's just such a, such a propellant to use your word. And body weight work, you know, body weight exercises also help you understand that you having a lack of something is is essentially an excuse what i mean by that is yes oh i don't have barbells i don't have dumbbells i can't afford the gym this month or it's a 25 minute drive out of the way this that and the other thing if the purpose is to get fit and maintain mental health find a way it's 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 uh it's the truth and i find that when you get into the regimen i almost can't go without it you know like i yeah. i've been doing a lot of travel for work and i'm i bring the running shoes and that kind of stuff half the time i just do stuff in my hotel room yeah just do enough just just do a, enough. just enough to move on for the day you know kind of thing so do you find that that is a um often something you're helping people coach with is certainly on the self part of the journey you know when you do when, in your current business now are you talking a lot about fitness with people we don't actually. Yeah. Um, 
I have a couple guys that are uh, lawyers, and we're mm. constantly talking w around sports metaphors or sailing metaphors. And I, the way I coach is a lot around perspective, metaphor, and and vision. Yes. And so the conversations are a little bit more like, yeah, metaphorical. So I can always bring that stuff in. Um, but as far as like, you know, and it's kind of funny because it's something that my, when I was at St. Mike's and there were some periods where I really struggled, uh, like I was the class president in our sophomore year and mm -hmm. all I wanted to do was not even be at that school. I just was wow. going through a lot and I was re sort of just mentally very alone. And he would always ask me, did you go to the gym this morning? Mm. No. All right. Next day, did you go to the gym? No. Third day, did you go to the gym today? Yeah. How you feeling? A little better. A little better, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's, it's it is it is like there's something to it. And my dad had cerebral palsy, so he wasn't like an able-bodied man himself. But even he could see the power of getting the the serotonin, uh, you know, ramped up and and um, the chemical effect of moving the body around and, and, and to paraphrase what you said earlier, uh, get in touch with the potential of your own body. Um, yeah. There's something about, there's something about being selfish that we don't talk about enough in our culture. That really is. I am the more I'm able to give, I find it's because I was doing things selfishly earlier. Like, like if I had to give advice to someone in their 18, 20, be selfish. Like, do things for what your parents might say are the wrong reasons. But be selfish because, I, because like, I view going to the gym, like that comment you made about I feel a little better. I feel like sometimes the serotonin goes up because it's like I just did something for me. Yeah, yeah. And 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 the, the my favorite metaphor is we don't we don't hand the uh, you know when the oxygen mask comes on we put our own on first. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of coaches that are um, nervous or struggling financially. They're concerned about, you know, the sustainability or runway of their business. And certainly I've had those concerns myself. Um, but they also don't charge their clients enough. And it's like, yeah. look, at the end of the day, you, you've got to get a little um, you got to get a little bit of ego. That's the one exception I would say to the Ryan Holiday ego is the enemy. There was a moment for me in the last year where I realized, especially when you're a nobody in a totally new space, yes, in a healthy, appropriate, productive way, you got to have a little bit of ego in it sometimes. You got to believe in yourself uh, when 100. I could I could 100% because like it's something you're working on. Yeah. But what I like about it, ego is the enemy, which I'm sure you love, is it it's just a good reminder to check it. I, I never found anything in the Stoic philosophy that said don't, like, have no ego. I think it was like build your person, and through your person, you're going to develop an ego. But yeah. don't let it become the thing that's driving. I just got chills thinking about this because I think the differentiation may be to some extent. The ego is the enemy when you are leading others, right? With it, because too. With it, because yeah. the the ego gets in the way of the total potential of the other person. Agreed. Agreed. If you are taking up too much space 
you are uh, kind of like sucking the oxygen out of the room for someone else to be their most powerful. Mm -hmm. The ego is the friend when it's time for you to take care of yourself and to like see the next chapter or do the next right thing for yourself. Yes. And it has to be worked on. You know, I don't think it's going to be different for everyone, but it's got to be worked on. You know, I can only speak from the male perspective in that teen early 20s like you got you do have to work at it oh yeah 100%. which i think is like what's enabled you like when i when we caught up about your story it's like like i put myself in your shoes it's, you i'm guessing you have clients that are older than you they're almost all older than me right and it's like it's always funny people are always like how do you lead people that are older than you it's like well i don't view it as that i view it as like can the experiences that i've had help yeah and I'm so fortunate that I had experience. Someone, I had someone on the podcast that was like, uh, the best advice they ever got in their 20s was go become interesting. Go eat out at weird restaurants, travel to places, have something to talk about. And I, you know, if you extrapolate that, you're going to get yourself into weird situations and form who you are character-wise. I got a good one I'd like to add into that, which is uh, oftentimes people will walk away feeling like you are the most fascinating person in the room because you made them feel like the most fascinating person in the room. Ah. And when people ask me, like, you know, what what is what is a coach's job? Well, I'll just speak to what I believe my job is as 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 a coach, which is relentless curiosity. Mm. If I if I'm on a call with a prospective client or a client and I am making assumptions, I'm doing my job wrong. Yeah. Every moment I get to ask if a thing is real, if the perspective is this, if the um, what is different now than a day ago, how is this person informed by an experience they have? Like my mom always told me how insanely curious I was as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of went through a big chapter of my life where maybe indirectly curiosity was helpful to me and to others. But now I get to like take a thing Mm-hmm. That was one of the qualities my parents talked to me the most about or like reinforced the most in me. I mm. get to put it right into my job every day. Yeah, that's and, really cool. And it actually it makes up a lot of ground for where I don't have uh, a direct experience. I have a I have a, a client who's gay. I've never been in his shoes before. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. How to like every moment of the. Uh, and neither does every gay male have the ability to speak to every other gay male's experience, right? I have a female who's a client that's gone through a divorce. I'm neither a female nor a divorcee, right? Right. But it's the ability to ask uh, useful, curious, heartfelt, productive, future-facing questions that move the plot along. That is really mm-hmm. what kind of helps people unlock what they need. I like to say that wisdom created is far longer lasting than wisdom transferred. Yes. Yes. Like when you can develop someone by asking them questions as opposed to telling them what to do, that's winning. It just takes time. It's, it's, it's a lot of time and effort up front, but I, I love your curiosity piece. Cause I feel like, um, I feel like in the role I'm in today and I get very much the sense when I talk to you and other people that seem to be in a, I don't want to, let's just say a good homeostasis with their life. You know, everything. things could be better, things could be worse all the time. But like, 
tends to be like a culmination of life experiences and stuff that happened that's like, oh, I'm using different things that happen over the course of my life and it and it and it works well today for what I do. So yeah. um it's kind of a per it, I mean, honestly it's why I started the podcast, man. Because I because I just felt like I had a dad who was I tell this story many times, I had a dad who was very good at like knowing the plan, engineering process yeah. mind. I'd get home from college. I'd be like, what are you going to be when you grow up? It's like, I still don't know. And my, my mom was the exact opposite and would defend me and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I still love the fact that my dad asked the question all the time. But the reality of the situation is you get you, you get out into the working world and most people had no idea what they're going to end up doing. You, Dave, being a classic example of that. I mean, we, we almost went politics. We almost went PhD, clinical psychology. And then there was leading the business, and then there, it, which you still are doing. I think technically you're still doing it, but it's the culmination of those skills that uh, has you there. So, yeah. Anything you'd want to add, man, to this? This has been, a, I, I feel like you and I could talk for about seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, is there anything I'd like to add? Um, Any advice you'd have maybe for people? Or maybe, yeah, anything you want to add, you, the floor is yours, but also advice you might have for people who are listening to this podcast, um, thinking about uh, reflecting about their own careers, too, like uh, maybe through the lens of, of careers and um, career progression or just finding their place in, in our society. Yeah. A um, couple things come to mind. One is a, a rather cliche phrase, which is start with why. Mm, um, Simon Sinek. Yeah, spend some real good time wondering why. There's an awesome song by a musician I love named Kevin Morby, and he has a song called Wander, and the hook of it is, when I wander, I wonder. And nah. if, if we can all create some more time and space, sense. I know there's kids, there's the job, there's the spouse, there's a whole lot going on, right? There's aging parents to take care of. Right. There's a lot happening. And we all deserve quiet time to go out and wander and wonder a little bit. And that doesn't mm. mean you have to, like, book a five day trip to Yosemite. It's like, yes, go take a walk go. down the street and back. Go for a drive. Yeah. And just just, just wonder a little bit like mm. my wife calls me boy of wonder because I so often <laughs> get this like goofy look on my face, like when we're in new places. I actually love that I get to be an adult and boy of wonder at the same time. So if I'd give anything to anybody in terms of advice is enjoy yeah. the moments to wonder. Yes. Be it, I, uh, that's funny. You say that. I say that, Tina, I'm, I'm just a child that has an aging body. Yeah. <laughs> my, my vessel is just failing, but I still, I'm still a kid. Um, Dave, I, thanks I broke my toe going down the stairs like a month and a half ago. And I was like, my trainer is going to kill me. Like, <laughs> what is the excuse? I, I, there isn't even one. I, I was just walking down the stairs. Oh, I know. It's it's uh, I had something that happened to me a little while ago, probably. I don't know, six, seven weeks ago. And I remember coming up being like, just mark it down, 37. I got 37 good years out of this body. And now we're in chapter two, which is the decline. <laughs> yeah. Now it's going up for resale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Dave, thank you again, man. Thanks for joining. Um, keep us in the loop. Love to have uh, Coach Dave back on as things continue to progress. And uh, thanks again for sharing your story on Beers and Careers. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Have a good one, man. You too.